We're going to start with me and then go to you, okay? <laughs> yeah, why don't we start with you and then go to me? <laughs> okay, okay, my name is Kent Dahlgren, and this is... Ruth Glendinning. And we're going to talk about the Anti-Fragile Playbook. Because we're anti-fragile, and we want you to be, too. <laughs> yes. So, okay, uh, I'll look for it. <laughs> you're, looking, you're looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> It says the recording's in the cloud, but I can't find it anywhere. It's like, well, that was the original hand to God, right? Man and God. They were handing him the device. It's like, here. Okay. It's so cute because Julia Julia asked me these cool questions because there's so many clouds in in Texas, of course. Not that we don't have clouds in Oregon, but not like here. Like, you know, in Oregon, you're in the clouds. You have no perspective. Well, you're in the terrarium. It's literally in the terrarium. But, you know, in... uh, here in Texas, there's like, wow, there's clouds, man. And I like still can't get over it. I'm, I'm used to seeing, you know, well, nothing actually. So, you know, Juliet's kind of the same thing. So Juliet's like, what's what are clouds taste like? I'm like, that's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I do. I don't really know. Anyway. Skittles uh, and brownie mix. There you go. Yeah. Well, as I said, uh, uh, as we indicated, uh, Trudy and I went to, um, Lubies, and I did not get the chicken fried steak, which means that I'm able to continue through the day without laying on my belly and crying. So I, uh, I'm happy to report that I um, will be able to walk because the weather is beautiful. Uh, yes. In January. I don't know what it is. 75 or something. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, winter. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, uh, hey, Ruth. Um, yeah, I, I was hoping that we could talk about uh, our recent um, discussion with uh, uh, with somebody uh, that we would that we've basically jumped into our neighborhood pilot. I'm not going to say her name, whatever, but that was such a cool conversation, right? Like, well, and, and, and let let's we didn't jump anybody in, okay? <laughs> like we <laughs> we actually invited her in, and she said yes, and and because you know we want to want to make sure that everybody knows this is all opt in. Nobody. <laughs> you're not in you know be brought into the gang of four here so um yeah it was it was real exciting uh because it's something you and i and trudy we live inside of and we talk about and people who know us have heard about it but this was a great chance to really get direct feedback Uh you know and and say wow so our guesses about this were correct which is always a little victory in this yeah well you know the the part that's validating is um i have been doing this type of advocacy since i was a kid and it's you know you could i guess you could call it grassroots advocacy but you know um and again we've referenced the skateboarding thing but it's sort of like um you know there was okay i'll just use an example i don't know if i've told you the story um the the uh eagles whatever they are, some sort of fraternal organization or whatever. There was this um, Eagles lodge that had been unused forever. And maybe it was, I don't have any idea, but it was in my neighborhood in Oregon. And they had this gigantic swimming pool in the backyard. And if you're a skateboarder, that's sort of a thing, right? Like it's a rite of passage. You want to skate a pool. The thing about it is this thing was huge. And so what we needed to do was to find people that would be willing to help us um, participate in the unlovely task of emptying it using five gallon buckets, which is just about as hard as it sounds. Um, and, um, and we did actually, it took a long time and you had to do it under the nose of, of, you know, uh, uh, neighbors that are going to call the police or whatever. And so anyway, we did it. it took a long time. Um, it's a lot of water. It's a lot of work, uh, but we did it. So, so imagine this, you're going to sit down because you have to find the right people. You can't just choose anybody, right? So mm-hmm. you got to sit down and you got to say, okay, hear me out. 
you know the eagles pool we're going to empty it using buckets basically but i need you to keep your mouth shut and also i need you to sneak out of the house and figure out how you're not going to get caught and please don't tell anybody because we don't want anybody blowing this out it's like i've been having those types of conversations as i was a kid mm-hmm. and uh uh and so that type of that type of activity that turned into hey we're going to build a a a plywood ramp kind of we would call it the woods but in Oregon it's essentially a swamp because everything's wet Uh, and we know that the thing's going to be wet a lot and we think it's on Alpenrose land it's a dairy there Um, and we're hoping it doesn't get torn down but we've got no other thing to to skate would you like to participate so I've been having these types of conversations right since I was you know a kid so it's 30 something years and it turned you know later on into hey we're working on something under the Burnside Bridge would you like to come and help us do some concrete aware that you might have to drop your shovels and run uh, because it's not officially sanctioned and uh, and, uh, it's not a lot of reward um, but it's a lot of work would you like to participate and then eventually turned into, hey, we've uh, got a, a public endorsement from the city of Portland to do a skate park committee. Um, but what we'd like to do is have you help us do um, uh, canvassing and phone banks uh, in support of the uh, parks uh, department um, uh, bond levy initiative. And if we can get, you know, the city of Portland to, to approve a $5 million bond levy, we get a half million dollars for a skate park. Would you like to do that? So, you know, eventually turns into, would you like to, would you like to, that's like that you're pitching people to see if they would be part of your ad hoc effort, right? Your ad hoc, ad hoc uh, uh, advocacy. And so all these years of experience have informed the process we call the community activation and launch methodology. And, you know, it begins at outrage, it ends at stewardship. You move from outrage to stewardship through action. That's really uh, a lot of that at the heart of what we're doing with the anti-fragile playbook. So, so in their conversation uh, uh, this weekend was, was around that. We've already had the conversation, you and I and Trudy have already had the conversation about outrage because that's that foundation. We've got to be able to find the shared why, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've had the conversation, which you know, each time you have the conversation, it makes it easier for you to talk to people because you, you don't want to just validate their sense of outrage. What you're trying to do is unlock the second step, which is vision. What, what would be the thing you hope? So what was great about this is that, oh, you know, through the lens of this experience, we're having this conversation and dude, would you agree? She seemed pretty engaged. In fact, there were a lot of times where she's just going and going and going. And I'm like, okay, well, we got, we got someone, right. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I would agree. And, and I do agree. And the, the other thing I want to bring up is to kind of roll back a couple of podcasts when we were talking about these uh, key soft capitals, uh-huh. you know, that, that we're now calling our keystone capitals, just as you would call a keystone species in the environment. Mm, because you, once you have those those keystones, um, you know they draw in and activate other elements. So if you uh-huh. put, um, you know, there's there's been a lot about you know putting the wolves back into the parks in the West, uh-huh. and as soon as they put the wolves back in, it drew in all these other elements that were part right. of the ecosystem, and they kept everything in balance. Right. So if we look at this in human. Uh, relationships and the five that we called out and they're you know every neighborhood may have some other balance but these are five that seem to be pretty solid is that we have attention what are you paying attention to mm-hmm. we have relationships what, are you, what how are you investing in your relationships we have time how are you spending your time right we have um uh trust you know, you're building your trust, you're just like, and that's a capital. And right. then it, it and then the wisdom that is that, that comes from that. So I saw all of those at play in this conversation. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and you and Trudy and I had talked about this a lot. So we had already built up our, our, our capitals in that. Right. And with um, our friend, you know, she, I, she and I have talked about these kinds of things a lot. So I, you know, I knew it was going to be a, a ready to receive audience. Right. Right. But what I was so gratified and to, to get back on track with what you were saying is how ready she was. Oh, my God. That she had actually been very thoughtful about it and and was really enthusiastic and had the proper caution. You know, yeah. she wasn't just diving in and going, yes, let's do it. It was just like, great, this has brought forward the kinds of questions. And that's what we've always said is knowledge gives you answers and wisdom gives you questions. Mm-hmm. And that's right. what we want to do is create these wisdom exchanges. Right. So that we're building wealth. Yeah. And what was really interesting about this is that if you can find the right person, going back to the swimming pool example, that thing was huge. And to empty it with five gallon buckets meant that you had to create a bucket brigade and you're often on your stomach because of the sight line with these nosy neighbors. Mm -hmm. And you gotta find people willing to do the work. And ideally you find the right person who's gonna turn and say, I got six people who are gonna come and help and all of them are hard workers and they're gonna keep their mouths shut. That's what you're looking Mm -hmm. for. Dude, that's what she did. She started naming Mm -hmm. like six or seven people and they were like, Okay, 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 tap the brakes, tap the brakes. Tap the yeah, brakes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Slow and steady wins the race, right? But it was a good, it was a good pick because I mean you could get just based on the feedback that she was providing, is that you could you could imagine that those people would also be similarly engaged. And what's really exciting about that, I've introduced technology for a lot, a lot of years. This is how you do it, actually. You don't just People think that the way you introduce technology is um, you, you you put it up on the uh, on a, an app store or up on a web and you just let people know and you blast enough marketing and ta-da, people adopt it. That's not actually true. People that think that's true have never actually done this before. Mm-hmm. They'll call those successful launches, but unless people, the single, the single measure of successful um, adoption is people actually using the software. So I don't care if you've got an app that allows people to chit chat, um, there's gotta be hundreds of them. So it doesn't mean that that's any different than any else. If you can get people to substantially change how they're interacting using a technology or, or an approach, you've actually got the adoption. But to do so, you need a pilot community. And the reason right. is this, you've got to have people hearing how it works from people like them. They can't hear it from me. I'm a nerd. You know, uh, fortunately, there's only a few people like me in the world. You've got to get those people to do it. You've got to get people like the person we spoke to this weekend to say to their to their friends or neighbors, we did it. And, and likewise, it actually continues from there, right? So, um, so the pilot community is actually really important. And, and I, and I, and I, you know, what's coming to mind is the metaphor of siphoning. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever siphoned gas. It's a pretty awful experience. If you, oh, if you I've heard about it, but I've yeah. never actually done that. Yeah. Well, so siphoning, uh, siphoning water out of a swimming pool is similarly horrible if you don't do it right. But what you end up doing is just, it's basically using physics is, is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you get a couple of hoses and you get the thing going. Uh, and then gravity just does its heavy lifting and just continues to just drain that water out, especially if you get those hoses to go right into a sewer drain, then nobody really realizes that, you know, a lot of water is coming out of that thing. And, um, uh, and so it's, um, it's really just like that. What we're trying to do right now, and it sounds like we're succeeding is, you know, let's just go all the way back. We've walked the heck out of this neighborhood, hundreds of miles, mm-hmm. literally hundreds of miles. We walked in the morning, the afternoon, the evening, and at nighttime. We've walked different areas of the neighborhood. We see the different patterns. We've identified what its uh, uh, footprint is. Um, we have listened with a capital L for what it would be the shared um, 
uh, pain points, the shared mm -hmm. uh, outrage is our, our, our fundamental step. And that's informed how we can frame the solution, which will go into the vision. And so, and we've had that next conversation. We have the three of us, right? And we've shared a lot of meals. To us, it's, it's we're, you know, practice what we preach. We preach, we do this over food. And then we uh, brought in a fourth. And from there, she's talking about six or seven. And, and that is a really healthy pilot community, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, so it's showing a lot of the milestones of a successful uh, pilot implementation. And, uh, and it allows us to actually um, demonstrate what we've been talking about for all these podcasts, what, 17 episodes. Um, yeah. So it's, well, it's, it's looking it, good. And it, 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 it also um, helps define a co-learning experience. Right. Because, you know, what we can do is we can put out their our story and say, okay, this is, this is what we believe is going to happen. And we believe um you know these are the needs now some of that is informed by the fact that we're people in the world and we're good observers you know this is this, these are clearly what needs to happen mm -hmm. but it has to leave room for the individual story you know that you're not signing on to one person's vision so that's called a cult you know we're uh -huh. not doing that right. it's saying that wow we have some shared pain points right. and we have a shared hope that it can be different uh-huh and so you're investing in both of those at the same time, right? Uh -huh. You're 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 moving it in your um, in your accounting. You're moving it from this cost column to an investment column. Mm -hmm. And you know, and, and I uh, what we had said, I think a few uh, uh, podcasts ago, is that we things that we don't want to do or we have some resistance to feels like a cost. Right. That which feels uh, more positive and that we're going to be generating, you know, good things out of is an investment. We have yeah. greater potential. We have that hope, right? But it's not enough to hope. You actually yeah. have to have a solid plan. You have to make allowances for the fact that that the world is full of complications. Mm -hmm. But and you're you may be out of practice from engaging with that. But mm -hmm. you're we're all these naturally complex creatures. Right. So we, we are really genetically ready for that complexity. We just need some form around that potential yeah. and yeah. some consistency in the language right. so that everybody knows that if they're going to write a shared story of future, they're speaking the same language. They can have different, they can have a nuanced set of outcomes, mm -hmm. but they need to say that I have a commitment to what's next with these people at this moment. Right. Yeah. And I feel like we got there on Sunday. There's so and much of what you said. I'm still like chewing on the words. And I, just love <laughs> it. I like this thing for your words, right? <laughs> well, the, the other thing that was really interesting later that afternoon um, is I got back from another meeting and a woman that I see who lives here in the cul-de-sac and I see her regularly out walking. Oh, um, right. I love this story, actually. <laughs> I love this story. And, and so... Uh, as people can see on, on the podcast cover and anybody who knows me is I have this white streak in my hair that I woke up with about 12 years ago. And um, I, I choose to believe it indicates wisdom. We'll see. So, uh, so I got out of the car and she says, you know, I just love that stripe in your hair. And I was like, Oh, well, thank you. You know, and we got into a little bit of a chat and um, she goes, well, what do you do for a living? And I talked about, you know, grassroots economics and things like that. And she just said, that is fascinating. I want to learn more. Yeah. I said, well, we're thinking of doing a pilot project and all this stuff. And she goes, here. And she said, here's my 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 uh, phone number 
text me because I want to know more about what you're doing and I really want to be part of it. So uh-huh. this is somebody who, you know, I just seen in passing. So there's the attention capital, right? That um, she knew that I lived at this house. And so there's mm-hmm. a relationship that she, you know, we, I invested time with her for about 30 minutes standing right. out there and having a conversation. So we've got time. Mm-hmm. So now that we have, um, we've built a little bit of trust, you know, and now we're exchanging wisdom. So it was like, boom, 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 boom. You know, it hit all the, and I just thought of that right now. So I was like, oh, yeah. it hits. but that's yeah. really what we're looking for yeah. in life in general. But mm-hmm. it's, it's even better when we can put it into this um, container right. that is going to maximize the opportunity for the most people in a yeah. way that's meaningful. I, uh, I'm looking up this document because I've been working on something that previously was called the org model, which was short for organizational competency. And the idea, it's actually the roots of it goes all the way back to when I was doing skateboard advocacy and then grassroots advocacy. And then I, I moved over into what people erroneously call the hacktivist thing. But mm-hmm. that's actually what it was more is that hybrid between people doing um, street level protest and activists as they embrace technology. So it's a hybrid there. And I, and I worked on, okay, well, you know, how can we help people develop an organizational competency that makes them more effective with the assumption that people don't sit and read HR manuals and they're not going to probably store a how to become more effective guide up on some electronic thing. It's got to be, it's got to be word of mouth. It's got to be something that people see and they emulate and they they pick up from one another. It just becomes one of those things. It's a meme, what we, you and I would call a meme, technically an expression of memetics. And so I became fascinated with it. So we would call it the org model. It's actually the genesis of the 214 thing. And so uh, so that's become the community activation and launch methodology. But, um, but it ends up being the recognition when you study what people... Uh, what works, because that's that's what you end up doing. Well, let's look at what works. What you what what you find mm-hmm. is that people follow the same steps over and over again. Again, for us, we say that what people do is they move from outrage to stewardship through action, and and action is the important part of what they call faith. It's not. I mean, I don't have to get too much into words. I know that people say I have faith, and they're talking about their religion. We're talking about taking action without any tangible evidence. It's going to work. You just do it. It's like it's, it's why a child takes their first step, right? So. Anyway, this what I've got in this presentation. I'm not sure if you. Uh, I could send it to you later. Something I put together a few years ago. But um, but under outrage, it says there's plenty of reasons to be upset. But staying upset isn't going to change anything. Focus on building a vision, right? And uh, and then and then going into the second step, the vision. Is it it's that your idea or your vision needs to be as easy to describe as a well-told joke. And and I really want to emphasize that. And um. Uh, It's metaphor, of course, but it's got to be just that clean. And here's the reason why that conversation with the woman outside your your car. Mm -hmm. um, If it's not if when, because I've done this before and I know you've done this before. And so we're on the right step. (laughs) There'll be a point where that conversation with that woman will turn into her sharing it with somebody else and it will infect them. They'll recognize Mm -hmm. that there's something to this. Right. And so I use the joke metaphor for a reason. Um, if I tell a really good joke, one of the markers of it being a good joke is that the recipient will turn around and tell it to somebody else and people mm-hmm. will think they're funny. That's the important thing. Cause, cause if I hear a good joke, I can assure you that I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, you know, technically that joke came from somebody. That's just not how jokes work. Somebody says, I just heard a great joke. And so they tell other people and then people assess them as being funny. 
but it's it's mm -hmm. a great application of what we would call memetics, right? And here's something that I that I that I, I frequently say: an idea will achieve a state of transcendence when it escapes the confines of a person's mind and lodges itself within the mind of somebody else. That's to us, that's the execution, the application side of memetics. And so these conversations that you and I are having, we can't have these conversations with everybody. It doesn't scale. Plus, I'm not the right person to tell the story. The right person right. to tell the story are the people in the neighborhood, and it's got to be filtered through what resonates as important and right for them. That's why we emphasize the outrage. It's got to, you've got to understand that. In fact, you know, what we're really talking about is what they would call statesmanship, which is distinguished from politics. It's not the same as mm -hmm. politics. This is noteworthy. This is why politics fails, by the way. The politicians have no sense of your outrage because they live an entirely different life. They don't understand, right? And the statesmanship is a different story altogether. They're in the trenches and they figure out this is what makes them tick, right? So, um, so that was, that's actually what I actually, I just, I just found the thing. An idea achieves a state of transcendence when it escapes the confines of an individual mind and embeds itself within the mind of others. And the important part of this, a really important part of this is it won't do so unless the person translates um, a, a belief into action. They have to actually take the action step. It can't be entirely theoretical. They've got to take that next step. And in the case here, what we're talking about is laying the groundwork, the, the baseline attributes of what we would call a... Um, uh, um, uh, 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 a social uh, inferno, if you will, is that that mm -hmm. person will turn around and share it with somebody else and they'll go, oh my God, that really clicks. It just makes sense. Boom, Op right. Occam's razor, I get it, right? So so there'll be a point, we'll have enough of these conversations such that we'll have to tap the brakes. And this is giving a strong indicator that we're headed there. We had a conversation with the three of us over food. It's worth the investment, it's worth the food. And then at some point we brought in just a fourth and that person's already, you can see her, she shifted her body 90 degrees to the right, laying sideways over the whole chair. She looks up, up and she's she's accessing what I call the cathedral, the cathedral of her mind. And she's mm -hmm. telling us who she's going to tell. And I'm like, boom, this joke's coming together. I can feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and, and, and of course, um, it's really important to talk about the joke because laughter is, a, is an immense, immensely powerful tool. It is that when you can share laughter with somebody, you're opening up the synapses and that's where engagement with new ideas come, you know, starts generating right. a future. Right. And so it's because people have to be able to imagine themselves in a different storyline. Um, you know, so this particular person we were speaking to, she's a, a teacher and a counselor and she's been with the school district and she's close to the end of that part of her career. Mm -hmm. So she's, you know, looking forward into what's next. And given COVID and how that changed institutional engagement for everybody, but especially for the people who are working in it day in, day out, mm -hmm. you know, that, so, so that was already softening the target as, as you would say, you know, where it's already like going, okay, I've got to think differently. Right. So once you start thinking differently, then you can do differently. Right. But it's, we can't expect people to jump straight from the institution of 30 years into what's next. Right. You know, there's some, some micro muscles that have to be worked, some right. readiness. Right. And so that's where these, these conversations become so powerful. They become the first um, unwritten social contract, uh -huh. right? That, that we start saying, okay, let's engage more of who you are and give you a place to express that. So yes, yeah, so she 
very much um, was very excited about it and already had thought about five or six people and perhaps even households right. that could participate. And then I've got a, a few people and you've got a few people. So this can generate quickly. But it's, um, you know, th one of the things that you and I have spoken about is that we almost, every, I would say just about everybody's going to participate. They're really an archetype. Right. in this pilot, you know, because it's not just about, oh, this will work for this one person and right. then you're done. It's like, no, look at the characteristics mm -hmm. of who they are and how they're, they've lived their lives and what they've left behind, right. you know, that they're ready to pick up. What are the gifts they have that right. have remained unopened? Right. And this is just an opportunity to kind of open those gifts and say, oh, this is who else I am. Right. And, and, and figure and out, get, get some collective support around visioning what that could be and, and here's the thing like um the, the social media in particular uh i love to use the backdraft metaphor for a lot of reasons <laughs> um because it clicks for people i mean it's, it has the attributes it has the the basics of a really really solid joke if you will although it's not necessarily funny you probably heard me talk about this before i feel that horror and and comedy are, are schematically identical it's that gap between you know um, uh, uh, you know, what you know to be true and, and basically taking a leap that either branches as hilarity or, 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 or horror, right? To me, they're, they're mm -hmm. schematically identical. So um, what I love about the backdraft metaphor is if you show somebody just an 11 second video, they get it and they never unget it, <laughs> right? And I tell it, I, I tell it with a story. We had two house fires when I was a kid and I remember the fire uh, department um, on the second fire, they uh, backed us away a couple of blocks. And I, I couldn't figure out why, because I'm a kid and I wasn't very bright. And uh, and I was like, you know, it's cold and our house is on fire. And I'm like, why are we all the way over here? And what they did is they cut the holes in the roof as they broke out the downstairs window and the house basically exploded. And what it was is it, it became super heated and it just needed oxygen. And they couldn't just march in there because <laughs> that's a bummer, right? <laughs> so what yeah. they did, that, that burst of heat, I could feel it hot on my face. It was two blocks away. What it did is it melted the aluminum siding at like two houses down. So I remember for the rest of the year, us kids all over the neighborhood were playing with these uh, aluminum icicles, basically, allowed us to have little spears and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you tell people that story and you show them the video, they get it. Boom, backdraft. I get it. The fire can get so hot, so hot that all it needs is a little bit of air and boom, off it goes. Right. So here's the thing. Step back. Social media. It's very, you know, uh, uh, basically we're all using the same platforms and social media is similar to the media in that they basically monetize uh, drama. They monetize crisis, right? And they, they, don't, they don't really, they, yeah. they, they monetize outrage. And the reason for that is that nobody's going to click an ad about a happy squirrel, but they're sure as heck going to, I mean, that's why CNN has had the red banner on their website since the Gulf War, because they mm -hmm. recognize that people see breaking news and they stop and look, even if it's some contrived nonsense, right? So, you know, here's the thing. It's, they don't realize, of course, they don't realize they've created a perfect backdraft scenario, right? So, you know, what, what Ruth and I, and our many conversations and Trudy, you know, what we end up doing is saying, you know, we're basically leveraging um, the best practices in neighborhood economics. So people can, you know, X, we actually start talking about what they can do that gets into vision. And when you do that, you've created that backdraft thing, boom, people get it, right? So, you know, I can give some examples of it because this gets into the outrage. These are some of the things that Trudy had shared with the, with the other, the fourth person. Um, you know, the issues of outrage presenting during this discussion were reorganized into the following categories as they were not presented in this order. But this is actually, this is her typing this thing up. Um, the high level categories are income and job security, food security, home security, health, family, personal growth and satisfaction, 
being a neighbor and government security. And I can just use a few examples on this, like under income and job security, boring or unfulfilling jobs, lack of growth or job satisfaction opportunity. Am I earning enough to pay all the bills and buy groceries? I have no real control over my income, which ends up being a precarious job security. Um, I did all the right things and now I feel precarious uh, and things like that. Food security, scarcity versus abundance, you know, um, uh, the, the toilet paper and egg shortages with the first announcements of COVID. You know, can I trust the sanitation of grocery stores and restaurants? Uh, under home security, you know, geez, taxes raised. We had this happen in Austin. They're raising taxes. And then in the middle of last year, the city announced that they wanted to raise it 11% for a, a transportation thing in a city where people are hitting their job stuff, right? So there's all that, you know. Um, are we losing equity in our homes? I can't afford the rent, you know. Am I at risk of homelessness? Uh, especially people who have already tapped out their uh, uh, assistance they can get from their family. Um, under health, you know, um, Things are changing outside. Uh, everything uh, is changing beyond my control. You know, how can I focus on, on being healthy and how can I manage my medical costs, right? Uh, under family, um, you know, uh, will I or my family be exposed to increasing crime? Will a siege mentality be coming in the near future? Uh, will the new normal be a constant state of life or death crises? Um, uh, under personal growth and satisfaction, this is the one that really got your, <laughs> this is the one really got your, your friend because that's when she shifted in the chair. Uh, under personal growth and satisfaction, feeling isolated due to, due to COVID and other reasons. More at uh, time at home does not mean happiness. What if this is the new normal? Can I ever expect that we'll get back to normal? Who are the uh, uh, awake and disinfected, uh, disaffected, which is really just who are the ones like me that I can seek so we can come up with an alternative? Um, you know, will the new normal be a constant state of life or death crises? Uh, I, I did all the right things. I still feel precarious. It's the same thing as before. Well, um, uh, comparing your insides to other people's outsides. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody else seems like they've got it together. Why am I so eh, right? And uh, I've got like two more um, under being a neighbor. I don't know how to be a neighbor. You know, I've moved to basically an economic zone. And for years, I, I commuted back and forth. And now I don't know who these people are. Can I actually go and ask for a cup of sugar? I've never even talked to this person before, right? Um, do I have to do this on my own? Uh, you know, there's a growing evisceration of the middle class with private vulnerability that could easily become public. Um, you know, that person looks like me. I wonder if they feel like me. And under, under government security, you know, can I trust the government to look out for me, my family or my community's basic needs? You know, wholeheartedly people are saying, no, they can't actually. Um, you know, when is the Calvary coming? Uh, uh, does anyone believe um, that the government will provide solutions? I need help, but I don't know who to trust. So, you know, uh, and the final one is, is this temporary? So those are the things and we couldn't even shut down what came next after those, we started talking about those. So. Well, and, and, and those all speak to those keystone capitals. You know, there's a lot of questions of trust, there's of the relationship, of time, right. of um, attention, and it, it culminates in wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, like those are the, the underlying stories here. And so these conversations are about how do we actually put some shape around that potential mm -hmm. so that you can get to action. So you're mm -hmm. not just sitting there in outrage because, dude, there's a lot to be outraged about. Okay, right. it, that, that gets stoked all the time. And you know, people are, are pretty exhausted, not only fiscally, but physically, you know, that like every aspect of it, because you're kind of holding this line for a, a story that was never yours. Right. So, yes, it's it's 
like a, a number of times you, you use the word precarious and security. And so there's this great um, new definition uh, that's called the precariat. Uh-huh. Like at one point they were the proletariat, they're the working class, but there's more and more people that are just in this very thin space of, 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 of keeping things balanced. So it's very mm-hmm. precarious. Mm-hmm. And that, that, uh, that population is growing because there's so many things you don't have control over. You know, you talk about raising taxes. Well, you actually have no control over that at all. Mm-hmm. It's because if we had 99% of the people voting, yes, that would be different. But Austin is notorious for being under 10% on every vote. Right. Yeah, it's just kind of how it is. Right. And so, so you don't, and then with security, so here's people who took jobs in institutions. I mean, you're going to be a teacher. That seems like a pretty secure career path. Right. And it's not, no, you no. know, so that's, that's it. It's like, like the, um, the, the masks are being pulled off everything at once. And so you're like, oh, as, as you said, you know, it's like you're in your home. That should make you comfortable. But it doesn't because you're not getting the social engagement you need. You're not getting that. You're not feeling the parts of yourself um, appreciated outside of just this automaton working, you know, mm. that, that you're being very transactional. And, and we're here as to have a transformational experience as humans, not to just be cogs in the machine. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where this, this whole kind of COVID reset has been so, uh, it's, it's, okay, I can't believe we're coming up on a year of it, right? right that, right. that it's, it's just, it really just, the way I likened it in one of my pieces is that you slammed on the brake and everything that was in the backseat got thrown to the front. Uh-huh. So we're all being forced to examine what we had thought we had left behind. Uh-huh. And here it is. And part of that is who else we are. Right. And, and, you know, being the human experience is collaborative. Mm-hmm. You have to find a way to engage with other people because you're, you can do this internal story to a point, but you have to express it to find its value. So that's what we're looking at here in this in this pilot is you know we've got got some really reasonable things to be outraged about but Mm -hmm. then now how do we take that outrage and put it in a lantern to light the way forward to what's next so that's our vision right well so we're actually making it useful instead of being overwhelmed by it no but that's a great metaphor i'm sorry i interrupted but i've never i mean i i've never heard you say that succinctly but that's right like how do we use the heat of our outrage to 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 to, to basically power a lantern so we can shine a way forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's, that's totally that's spot on correct. I, I, um, I, I'm, I'm invited to remind people of the idea of the circle of influence and circle of concern because they're inversely proportional to one another. They're basically two circles. And if your circle of concern is global, I can assure you that your circle of influence is pretty small. You're not able, I mean, and we run into this all the time. There's the illusion of, of actually making progress without actually doing anything. This is the thing that annoys me about the internet is um, it looks like you're doing something. You, you post something and you get 10,000 retweets, um, but does it actually do anything? That's the question I always have. Has it actually 
has it actually done anything? And people say, well, it's raising awareness. Sure, sure. But I'll bet you that people already know about global warming. I'll bet you you haven't really helped them at all in that regard, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. and I know that people will say like, you know, think local, act, uh, think global, act local. That's our emphasis. Focus on actually doing something instead of amplifying the, uh, the, uh, the um, outrage. Because that all that does is allow the, the, the media to become more, uh, uh, to collect more money. That's all they do. Right. So, I mean, it's sort of, Ruth knows this cause I'll roll my eyes. People, I, you know, they're like, well, did you see this? I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I'll bet you that people knew about global warming. I bet you they knew about this. I, you know, can you point me towards the one person who didn't already know that was going on? Right. What people need is a solution they, right. They need, right. they need something that's different. And so when we, we talk to people about what we're doing, we, the solution is rooted in, in this, right? The solution is, well, go back to the swimming pool example. Like if I'm talking to somebody, I'm saying, you know, the pool on the Eagles pool on Barber and they say, sure. And I say, cool, we're going to empty it over the next week. We just need people with buckets, uh, you know, uh, with a work ethic and, uh, uh, you know, they don't, they, they know how to keep their tongues in check. And, uh, you know, uh, and then people do it. They just step up and they do it. Now what they've got is there's the vision, there's the plan and, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, some, some, idea about how long it's going to take right i mean i'm basically giving you a preview on the on the vision which would be the next step and it was funny about how this this conversation jumped right into that even though it wasn't intended to be that right and yeah um i, I would well, go ahead well it's like and i'm glad you're using the uh swimming pool as an example because you're you have measurable metrics right you have measurable steps either you know, you've already said, can you be quiet? Can you do work and can you show up? Okay, so mm -hmm. there's our three important things, right? That, so you've, you've determined that, that they, they meet the criteria. So then you can measure whether or not they do that, mm -hmm. right? It's like, and then you can measure whether the pool gets emptied. And then, so, and we have to break it down into measurable steps. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have visions, okay? A lot mm -hmm. of people can paint beautiful pictures and, you know, and, and get you excited about a potential, mm -hmm. but is it actionable? You know, so when you're talking to people about a future life right. and they're going, so my mortgage is still due and, and city of Austin is going to be raising taxes on, on the regular. And I can't control the, the fact that milk is $4 a gallon or whatever it is. You know, there's all these things they can't control. You have to give people action steps that are one meaningful to them. And two are actually on the path to where they want to go. Right, 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 right. And, and I think that that's where um, we've really made a lot of headway because we're not talking about people going to Oz. We're just mm -hmm. saying, how do you want how can you live better in Kansas? Yeah. And you yeah. need that. You have to respect people that that that's the path they're on. Well, that's, that's a really important part, you know, cause okay, when we already had, we already had the outrage conversation. We already had the outrage podcast and we're, we're basically technically on the vision part mm -hmm. of the, of the model, which, you know, it goes outrage, then it goes vision, then it goes to community building. Um, but it's important to acknowledge something. We went back to outrage when we added a fourth. Um, mm -hmm. And when we have the next conversation, we will go back to outrage. Um, that's how you have to do it. You have to go all the way back. And this is important to, 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 to remind people, um, just because you are on step 1000 doesn't mean that you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning for new people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's got to be built into it because... Um, 
um, there'll be a point, of course, where it is, it is, um, it is synthesized enough that people get it just as quick as a joke. But you're still going to have to have that conversation, even if it's abbreviated. Um, it is noteworthy, however, we had the outrage conversation when we brought in the fourth. That outrage conversation. Um, took like a third of the time and it basically jumped right towards vision because she mm -hmm. started talking about stuff. She started saying, you know, um, actually I have the notes, uh, you know, I mean, plant seeds for future economic sustainability. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's all these great notes, um, uh, um, you know, she's diversity, inclusion, how to be a neighbor. Um, you know, uh, how, how are we going to, how are we going to pay the people? She's jumping right to the solution. You know, we, we talked about how to find people in the neighborhood that have a natural wisdom for peacemaking. And we would make them the arbitrators. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the, she jumped to, how do we pay them? We have to pay them. If they're going to provide this valuable service, how do we pay them? So, you know, the thing is, you're going to run into this when you have that conversation. As you synthesize your ability to, to, to describe the outrage, people will jump right to vision. And that's exciting because I could... By the way, I want to I want to emphasize something. She could see how she could have this conversation with others, and mm -hmm. and and I want to say one more thing and then pass it to you because this is for those who are doing the community activist uh, uh, activism, they have to have the wisdom to know when to tap the brakes. So, and I have to really say this enough. This is because people think that growth is good. That's that's marginally true. Okay, that's sort of true. I, and I grew up around trees. I can tell you with with confidence that a tree that grows fast is not a strong tree, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, is, that is true. You might think that a big tree is strong. That's sort of true. But there's such a thing as a tree that grows really, really big in just a few years, and it's a garbage tree. They, they don't have the strength, you know? So here's the thing. This is beginning to look like what we would call a neighborhood level viral type thing. You've got to tap the brakes on that. We've got to go slow and steady wins the race on this one. Um, it, 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 a, lot of, a lot of growth uh, too fast would screw it up. Um, so, you know, have the wisdom to know when to say, we're going to stick to plan here. And, and I, I like to say just one more thing before I pass it. The hardest thing about strategy is choosing what you will not do, not what you will right. do. Right. So you just, you know, it doesn't mean that you are fixed in your plan and you never change. Be aware that there might be other things you hadn't considered. Refresh the screen constantly. But you have to have the discipline to say, and you know this about me, Ruth, I have stickies. You, we're only going to be able to do these three or four things this week. All these are great ideas, but we only have the bandwidth to do these things. So which things are we not going to do if we're going to add something? And so uh, at that, I'll pass it to you. But Well, and, and there, there's a couple of big things that have to be addressed here is there's some unlearning to do uh, because whenever people have come in and said, oh, here's a money-making scheme, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's Pampered Chef or Amway or whatever it is, right? It doesn't, it, it's still focused on the consumer side. It's, and what we're saying is, no, 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 we need to get to awaken the producer, the productive mm -hmm. capacity for you to generate your own future mm -hmm. in collaboration with others. So you're all supporting each other. And that's something people are born to and they are um, entrained to leave that behind to fit into the, the uh, capital system, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, just do, get really good at one thing and then keep doing that until we don't need you anymore. And then you'll figure it out. It's like, well, okay, we're gonna complicate things based on that system, but we're complexifying things, which is more of your natural state of being. So there's uh -huh. that, that I, I, I really want to make sure that, that people understand this is not about selling widgets. 
Right. This is about discovering and bringing forward who else you are right. and doing it in partnership with your trusted collective people. Right. So big difference. And the other is that at, at every level, at every point, when you said going back to outrage each time, it's not because we're trying to fire people up or that's just the easy in. It's because that's how where people are. Yes. And so when you and Trudy and I talk, we're like, oh, th these seem like good checkpoints for outrage. But we had to check back in with yes. this other partner and say, is this true? And yes. so that leads to those four questions of, is it true? Has it ever been true? Could it be true? And should it be true? Right. Yeah. Because you have to get agreement on those levels all the way from the baseline of, is it true? Which is just a fact up to, should, to should it be true? Which is an ethical stance. Yes. And so it's, and so that's where I think all of the, um, you know, th that we speak in these very, uh, accessible ways you know right. we, we we've created language but it's on us and for whoever opts into this for us to continue to test the language and right. to test the story because it's a living lab yes. it's not you know it has to be reflexive reflective of the world so right. you know the and, and what covid has done as a crucible is it's forced people to look at things that they had just they had just kind of fallen out of their vision, right? It's right. it's not that they aren't aware of them, but they it just wasn't a priority, right? And because it felt like, well, I put the right coins into the forty year machine, and I'm on year thirty seven, so why should I quit it now? Right. So if that forty year machine is quitting you, you need to find a way, yeah. you know, yeah. and to do it in a way that is. Um, producing value right. of things that are meaningful to you and to the people with whom you are creating this economy. So it's, I, that's, what's exciting. I mean, it's all exciting to me, obviously, because I'm a geek, but it's nerd. But, <laughs> totally. And so, but what's really exciting is that, you know, people who have been listening to the podcast, yay. And, and reading the things and following Twitter and, and, looking at the new website and everything, it's dawning on them that mm -hmm. this is real, that this yeah. is not just another, you know, get rich quick scheme. Yeah. And you know what actually occurred to me as we were talking just now, uh, we actually had the same conversation with Tanya's people. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know why it didn't occur to me until just now. The um, member, because we've had these, I mean, I've known Tanya 30 something years. And, uh, and so then she brought in some of her um, people, uh, a representative of the Iranian community and a representative of the indigenous community. And so, uh, so it was, uh, it was three, three of them. Uh, Tanya, Tanya, us, and then we brought in two more. And you remember how they got engaged? I couldn't believe it. Um, there was a question, uh, is this is this a pyramid scheme? It seems too good to be true. It's like, well, it's not a pyramid mm -hmm. scheme at all. Uh, but, you know, it was pretty good. I mean, and then you just couldn't get them, you couldn't get them to stop engaging. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually have had this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me until just now. Um, and it's, it is definitely has the characteristics of that. And it's cool too, because then you can say things like, you know, they'll ask the, the nuts and bolts question, which is like, how does this pay for itself? Because what we're proposing is a system that provides a self-funded economic stimulus using money that normally stays under the table and relying upon leadership that's sourced and activated locally from within the neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, leaving it in its wake a self-funded 
uh, uh, you know, solution. And, and we can say governance is different than government. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. this in a, in a podcast pretty soon. It's basically just providing, um, you know, at the hyper local level, that which the government can't really do anyway. It doesn't it's not it's not really built to do that in the first place, and it just doesn't have the chops right now. And so when we talk about it, people are like, okay, wait, this is like they check in with themselves. Like this, this I, I hear the numbers on it. You know, you're saying if there's, um, you know, a hundred, there's a thousand people participating, and and uh, and only um, you know. Uh, 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 a thousand people participating and a hundred are selling goods and services. And if they just do the normal level of transactions that people normally do anyway, you end up generating like $2,000 a month just for the community account, which pays for, you know, earn and learn programs. And that's while the people that are participating are getting an extra 400 bucks a month in their pocket, which is right. a big deal, actually, you know, for a lot of people in Austin, that's basically the increase in property taxes due to the increase that happened last year, which might be a, a, a proposition that allows them to stay in their home instead of having to get forced out. So that that comes together. And there's a point where they're like, okay, wait, 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 this is this is too good to be true. I, I don't know if I should believe this. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pinch me. And, and again, this is where you'll have to have the discipline to say, okay, wait, can we just, just slow down a bit? I don't need a hundred people with buckets right now. It's just one swimming pool. Yes, we have a plan to build skate parks all over the city of Portland. But right now we're talking about a single pool. We only need eight people with buckets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, it's gonna, you're gonna need to have the discipline to say like, wait, 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 <laughs> hang on a second. Uh, but it's, uh, it, you know, it does come together nicely. Um, well, and 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 you know, and in Austin specifically right now, um, you know, I, I posted something on Facebook about um, how there's only 87 houses available in the Greater Austin market that are under a million dollars. Right. So there may be people who are saying, "Wow, this is a hot market. I could sell this and and you know change my location," but they couldn't relocate within Austin. Yeah. You know, yeah. another a real, a real estate friend posted that a house that was uh, listed for 370,000 in Round Rock sold for 541,000. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's, that's what's going on with the market. We have so many, this, this influx of cash right. from people that are moving to Austin and it's right. really making it, it's, it's really growing their precariat here Yeah, because, because it can't, you know, that this market was, shaky to begin with because people were already being priced out of their homes right. from taxes and just you know what we talk about the ability to afford versus affordability right and so that's where there there's this openness and this readiness for people to say okay you know i now ha i have a baseline i have some stability what right. could i do to deepen my route here Yes. Rather and than that, uproot myself and move to a place that's actually going to cost me a lot more because I now have to drive from Bastrop right. to Austin every and, day. And it's important to acknowledge that if the city is reliant upon property taxes and you're struggling to stay in your home, then you are not their constituency. Right. Because what they want is somebody to move there that can afford the property tax. So don't expect the city to bend over backwards to help you out. And um, because it's it's financially disincentivized to do so, well, um, you know, why help somebody stay in a home they can't afford when you can have them easily replaced by somebody who can? And what they're, of course, angling is to try to bring people from California who, by comparison, Austin seems cheap. So what they want is more and more of those people to come so they can get more and more property taxes. And you know this about government. 
you know, they, they don't, they, 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 what they're pretty good at doing, they have a great muscle memory for increasing uh, taxes. They're not very good at cutting costs. It's not really within its, um, uh, its, you know, its toolbox. And any calls for them to do so is immediately dismissed as, oh, you must be a conservative. Uh, you know, not really, but it well, doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Like, the point is, is that but, don't expect the city to help out. But, but there, and, and so that leads to this bigger problem, which we were already on our way, and this is just now uh, added enzyme to it, is the lack of complexity and diversity. Yes. So we, we're becoming this company town yeah. um, where if you're not working for high tech, right. then you can't afford to live here. And the problem is, you know, it's like we have so many like look at San Francisco. Right. And, and that whole area of, of California, it was decimated as yeah. far as having this this diversity of thought mm -hmm. and engagement and kinds of people and culture. Mm -hmm. And so now they're all moving here. Yep. And, you know, sure Texas the, is a big state, but it can't absorb all of that in one well, sure, place. Sure, the, so sure the, the post office example in San Francisco. Well, I was, yeah, I was going to say, so a friend of mine lives um, in the Russian Hill area of right. San Francisco, Just and he's right been downtown. there for he's been there for ages. He's in rent right. control. You know, it's one of those magic places. Right. He even still has a telephone. It's like crazy. So right. um, he said, guess, guess how many people have left this area? since COVID. And I was like, I have no idea. I said, maybe 10,000. He goes, no, no, no. 90,000 households have changed their address right. and moved out of the city. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's amazing. Cause you know, it's like when I uh, lived in Oklahoma, the largest town in Southeast Oklahoma and Choctaw nation is McAllister. And it was 42,000 people. Yeah. Okay. Right. Not households, people. So right. it's like, so it's like when you think about 90,000, those households had to go somewhere right. and they come here. And as somebody did mention online today, it's like, well, they're coming here in the winter. Wait till summer. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That'll sort some people out for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that as a, as a group, high tech people don't have an investment in the arts. They mm -hmm. don't have investment in local culture. They, they're good consumers of it. Right. You know, they'll, 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 they'll listen to the music and they'll go to restaurants and things like that, but they're not supporting the production of it. And so we have this other thing that is happening in Austin where, you know, they, they've gotten a lot of mileage out of um, being the live music capital of the world, mm -hmm. but the venues are closed and those that are still open are in limited right. uh, seating. The big rehearsal studio just closed last week right. and the musicians are moving out. Most of them live in, you know, very far South Austin, pretty much in, uh, in San Marcos and, you know, out in, in outlying areas in Kyle. Right. So, so how is this the live music capital of the world? Right. And, and there, there's no, investment in the social capital that's necessary to actually call this a community this has become as you said earlier an economic zone yes so when we're when we're leaning towards that uh that transactional level you know uh -huh. the, like 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 the 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 pendulum has swung very far to the transactional side right. because that that is the only capital that is valued yeah I, and I, so let, let well, me add one more thing ahead, is ahead. that so, so here we are. So I've lived in Austin on and off for 40 years. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot and it is 
and, and certainly when I moved here, it wasn't that I thought I'd be having this conversation in 2021. You know, it was, it's not right. like I had some big ambitious plan. It was just like, I just kept showing up and sticking around. Right. And, but I had the luxury of doing that. I could do right. this slow evolution. I could have this long route on, a, on the future that people don't get now. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting these investments in a future that is diverse and engaged and uh, a good incubator for the next right. generation. Right. It's like, you have to hit it big quickly. It's like being in San Francisco. Right. So. Well, yes. I was gonna add to this, something um, that just came out this week, uh, a week ago today in the Willamette week in Portland. Uh, um, uh, the key indicator of real estate investors interest in Portland shows a precipitous decline. An Oregon economist could not think of another example where the area had fallen so quickly, fallen into disfavor, um, and uh, uh, it actually went. Um, it actually went from the third most desirable real estate market in 2017. For 2021, it ranks 60th of 80 cities on the list, <laughs> and uh, and there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, you know, uh, a lot of it has to do with um, um, widely broadcast images of protests and nearby wildfires, exacerbated by the documented flight of businesses from the city's core, and factors such as the pro cost of property insurance rising 30 to 50 percent amid repeated vandalism. Uh, but it's also fitting within a debate of the future of the Bureau of Developmental Services, and it's a really interesting preview of what we can expect in cities like Austin and others. Now, if you go back the, the, the middle of last summer, still in the middle of COVID, the city says we need to, because we're because in, in the state here, we're, we're limited on how much we can raise taxes. But the city says, no, 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 no. We've got to raise property taxes 11% so we can pay for a light rail. Now, I come from a place where they have light rail and it's a pretty sweet deal, right? But I'm telling you, the reason for light rail in Austin is so they can um, allow people to get into their downtown jobs and to the tech centered jobs uh, without having to drive at just the time when that appears to be changing, right? right. So the people who are already hanging on by a toehold are now expected to uh, uh, pay even more property taxes to buy off on a, on a plan um, that, that, that might not be fitting for, I mean, because Austin, of course, models themselves on Portland, but Portland is is reaping the benefits of that actually, right? And yeah. instead of refreshing the screen, what they're doing is they're, they're poised to do the same thing. Now, the city uh, doesn't have any incentive to do anything but what they're doing because of course they monetize property taxes. There's no financial disincentive to do so. And, uh, and, um, and they're, they don't really have, uh, uh, they don't get to, they don't experience failure like they do in the private sector. So, uh, you know, why not just keep doing this as long as you keep getting people that'll pay the property taxes. So, you know, the thing is, is that, where do you go? Where do you go? You have to look within. Like, there's got to be a way we can come up with a way to stay in this house. So we, so we, we aren't just a placemaker. We can be a placehold, a uh, 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 instead of a placeholder, a placemaker, right? And that is a lot of what we're what we're focusing on in this is that these are all external and, and environmental circumstances that you know that that contribute to people's sense of outrage and betrayal, right? Like, I, you know, I've heard people. Um, across the political spectrum in Austin say, I've been here for a really long time. And the city appears to be cavalier about how they just want me to leave, right? That, that contributes to outrage that transcends any particular demographic or age group, right? And the solution isn't what they think it is. The solution is what if we just do what your grandparents did and <laughs> look what in, you know? It might be right under your nose. And, and they go, oh, that's cool. I mean, it's very, you know, haha, -ha, that's nice. But if they see it, then they see it. And then they don't disengage. They're like, oh my God, it's right there. I can do it. I can stay here. I can do this. We can, we can ride this out. 
And, uh, and it's like they, they discovered the steel that they knew they had within all along. That's the part that's great about this, is they realize it's not just something. They knew they had it all along. They knew it. They just didn't know where it was. And then it's right there, right? Like, I can do this. We can do this. And of course, the trick that we've got is we got to tap the brakes. Wait, 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 wait. Don't go too fast. Don't go too fast. <laughs> right? Well, it, 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 but, but going back early on in this conversation about fire, people want to run from a burning building, right? Mm -hmm. They just want to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And the question is, is what are you running to? You know, and what, right now the building is smoldering. There's some hints. We're not on fire. So now is the time to say, huh, why don't I build the story of what's next? And why mm -hmm. don't I do it with people I trust? And why don't I do it in a way that allows us to express more of who we are so that my next 30 years of work doesn't feel like work you know it's it's just an expression of who i am and we can build this collaborative story and you know it's so it, we we have this moment where we get to we've we've had a year of reflecting on why right. now we're in the moment of how how does this happen you know and where it's not this this pyramid scheme and it's not pampered chef and it's not any of those things that have you know, become metaphors for just a, a new form of consumerism. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's to say, how do I be, how do I produce a life that I want to live? Right. And I think that we have the tools available to us for that. Mm -hmm. And so you have the why. And so we have the how right. the next step is forward into the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, where we're where we're headed just to give a sense on the on the on the arc because of course what we chose to do is we we're going to do a, a living laboratory right here in the neighborhood and um in much the same way you know ruth had done with community renaissance market she created a, a place that incubated a lot of businesses and its key um micro businesses and its key feature was a commercial kitchen and that allowed her to have some really unique insights about what works and what doesn't works doesn't work and likewise you know i had participated in a, in a home built skateboard park and, and it's been self-maintained for 30 years so if you want to have some insights on what it looks like to build your own and maintain your own skate park over the course of, of a long time the people who can answer that question better than anyone are those who have actually done it right so that's kind of what we're doing here is we're building uh, a living lab right in our neighborhood um and uh, uh and um and so we're using the community activation launch methodology it begins with outrage it goes to vision. What it immediately trends towards is the third step, which is community building. We used to call it advocacy, uh, but it's uh, it's basically how do you build the basic framework for self-governance? Who is going to do what? And as we got from the conversation with your with the, your friend, she's saying, "How are they going to get paid for?" It? Well, we've we've mm -hmm. answered that. This is the stuff that I've learned uh, all along when I was doing the grassroots advocacy. I was like, "Oh, this is all great," but I gotta I can't be built entirely upon a gift economy. Gift economies are great, but they don't scale terribly well. Um, uh, it doesn't, um, you know, you got to add an additional thing. There's got to be something, right? So, uh, so that's the, um, that's the, uh, the, that's where we're headed now is, uh, is headed to there. Uh, and, and I feel like we should probably wrap because, because I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I yeah. did want I did want to talk about refreshing the screen real quick. You notice we do that a lot. We refresh the screen. Mm -hmm. and, and it's something that I learned in the military is there's a framework called UDA, or uh, it's actually was developed by a guy named John Boyd during the Korean War. Um, and it stands for uh, Observe, Orient, Decide, and Act. It's a 
four-step process. You observe what's going on. You uh, orient yourself based on a variety of factors. You decide what you're going to do and you act. And he, and, he, and he developed it to teach fighter pilots how to be more effective, but it actually has applicability everywhere. Uh, we use an, ad, uh, an adaptation of that that's actually collapses the first two steps and it's a, um, and, uh, and it's a constant feedback loop. And it allows us to reorient quickly uh, and effectively uh, when circumstances change. Um, which means that we stay on our on our plan, but we can constantly refresh the screen. And so, Ruth, go through the fourth questions because that's what we do as part of our reorientation. Um, it's the, yeah, the, the four questions are, is it true? The second is, has it ever been true? Mm -hmm. The third is, could it be true? And the fourth is, should it be true? Mm -hmm. And what I have found is that people kind of are born into a question, you know? So for instance, the people who are, were born after 9-11, mm -hmm. they were born into, I, I say they're born into the question of, should it be true? Because mm -hmm. they were never born into any security of how the world is. You know, there's things that we all took for granted mm -hmm. and that they just seem to be true no matter what, because they paid off. And so we're like, okay, it must be, it must be okay. Cause there wasn't any, other stories surfaced but imagine being born in after 9 11 and you have three kids that were born after that that mm -hmm. the way they look at their life at the world is they're constantly refreshing the screen because there's some new information and they have access to, to the tools to question it and what we're presenting is and here's a tool to not just question it but to create solution from that question mm -hmm. but you still have to test it you have to test this theory that if you get stuck in one storyline and say, this is how things always are, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm -hmm. Because you know, the old truism, the only constant is change. Yeah. So here we are at a point of change. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, this is, that's right. I mean, what you're right. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're I mean, I'm not going to pretend like this is a perfect, uh, perfect plan but it's something and uh and we constantly refresh the screen and we learn constantly um it's interesting because i just got pulled into a really interesting discussion about the tiny home thing you know we're doing with deb's house because mm -hmm. deb deb's deb deb wants a tiny home community similar to community first and she's tried for years and people just say no no it's just just use community first and but you know deb was a homeless woman in austin and community first is mostly men centered so she just wants a community she wants a community first for women so and exclusive to women so they can start to heal because you know bluntly it's a man's world out out in the streets mm -hmm. and uh, uh and so what we put together is a pretty quick and dirty um i mean ends up being you know 150k to serve the needs of 150 people in an acre it ends up being tense with some tiny homes and the answer i got is but why not it looks like a refugee camp why not build tiny homes in phase one <laughs> Well, so it's like, so it's like, it ends up being this back and forth. Like, well, the answer to that is because we tried that for years and people didn't want to do it. So now that we've got something that looks like this, the answer is go to, I mean, you're going to run into this is my point is that you're going to get, you're going to get the, the back and forth. And you know, what, what we're trying to do is what is what, what Ruth calls that single entry point to complexity. What is the perfect entry point on this thing? And in this case, it's like the plan that we put together a year ago, as it turns out, you know, the city of Austin just announced they're going to spend 16 million bucks to buy two hotels to meet the needs of 150 people. And it turns out the plan that we've shared with the city a year ago is a 0.96 
percent of the total cost addressing the needs of the people, <laughs> and it's not it's not assumed to be the, uh, the 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 eventual plan. It's just the first step. Inexpensively get them out of the bushes so they can be out there open and they can actually serve as a magnet for services, so they can buy they can start building towards having tiny home community. Um, and uh, uh, you know, is it the perfect plan? I don't know, but it's something. I mean, let's just try something, right? And it's funny well, because you're going to get this feedback, like, well, but why not just build the tiny homes anyway? <laughs> okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but I think too, I think too, is that that's a really good encapsulation of where people are now. That when Alan Graham started even thinking about Community First Village over a decade ago. Mm -hmm. That was not part of the language. No, you know, it's like like he was really pioneering yes. a different storyline, right. and so it, it's and so the whole idea that people think that that's a starting point is they forget the long route of no, the plant took, that got him there, it took right? A, year, a decade yeah. to get there. And 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 he was somebody who was living in Westlake, and he'd been a yeah. developer, and he had right. all the connections possible, right? But still, it was an uphill battle right. because it was because you're you're one, you're trying to make people care about people, you know, kind of change a story around the, around homeless people right. who are saying, well, they, they enjoy it. And I just saw that today on a post where somebody goes, well, these are people who just like the vagabond life. I'm like, yeah, not really. So, you know, yeah. there might be a tiny percentage. And, and I lived in Santa Monica in the nineties and that was kind of like ground zero for right. homeless um, and, right. and they're living in the park and people are like, well, they just like it. And I'm like, you obviously haven't talked to all of them, you know? Right. And so, yeah. so, so, but, so I want to make sure we give Alan props for what he did is because it was really, it was, it was hard work yeah. to, to actually get a base camp there to even right. talk about this. And right. so, and with Debbie, you know, she is so, she has wisdom. You know, she's she is sharing her learned wisdom. It's not an right. opinion. It's not a theory. It's like she's been there. This is what she's done. She is holding a story for people that don't get seen at all. And, and, and nobody wants to think about how uh, dangerous it is to be a female without protection, without a home. Yeah. And because that's 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 real uncomfortable for people, but we've got to get people uncomfortable. We have yeah. to start building that empathy, moving from otherhood to brotherhood. Yeah. Well, and so so the idea of this that not only to getting them housed, but to actually have them homed, mm -hmm. you know, so they're actually producing um, a, a a a life of meaning for themselves and others. Right. Yeah. Well, and and you know, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the tech. I, I'm a technology guy. I spent a lot of years in the industry. I, I worked uh, for Tektronix in Portland, uh, which used to be the largest employer in Oregon. They had a, a labs that, that used to rival um, uh, GE's Bell Labs. Um, uh, and when you got hired at Tektronix, you were told that you would be taken care of through, for life. And uh, and people were sold that. And, um, and, and then it turns out that that's not possible it's not realistic and so those um when i started there in the 90s those who were still holding on to that were considered naive and, and stupid for for entertaining such uh, mm -hmm. an idea and and what we were trying to do is just get rid of them because they were just inhibiting our ability to turn the company into something more modern because we were basically being driven out of, out of business so um you know i had worked at xerox went through the same thing there was a campus of 3500 of us but you know xerox has now closed that um i worked uh, at tripwire a security industry i don't even know tripwire has an office there but they're not run out of there they got acquired by another company um you know i um 
uh, was a, a star performer in that industry. But you know what you find is that you, there's no loyalty. The businesses have no loyalty to you, uh, right. and you end up uh, uh, basically bouncing around, and essentially priced out of your city. You know, uh, we had two. Uh, incomes um, uh, uh, and, you know, a lot of kids in the household, but driven out. And I found myself homeless in 2017, uh, sleeping in my truck and using the services of Right to Dream 2, uh, which is a self-governing homeless camp in uh, in Portland. Uh, and that's uh, that's a that's a that's a experience that I wish everyone could go through, actually, uh -huh. in much the same way that I wish everybody could learn how to drive a semi truck because you would learn not to stop right in front of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's one of those well, things. Yeah, it, it goes back know. to that that learned wisdom. Yeah, right? yeah. Because then you learn in a hurry, you know, uh, the people that are out there, they uh, they don't, um, you know, there's true that there's some people that I would call vagabonds, but man, there's people, vets, I would say a lot of people I talked to were vets and no, they they that was not their first choice. That was not their first choice at all. Uh, but they had a hard time integrating with society. Uh, women, I, I can assure you that there's, I don't think I've ever met a woman who chose that life for themselves because it's a right. man's world. And that is a rough, women would say to me all the time, you would not believe the things that I've had to do to make mm -hmm. sure my kids have a place to sleep. Right. And uh, uh, so, you know, they come up with some pretty good solutions. Their solutions are, are basically pretty pragmatic. They're like, you know, if we could just get, see all that land over there, and they'll point to some land that's not being used. If we could just build some sheds, we could get through the winter. Their needs are pretty modest. And this social system isn't really built for that. You know, what they do is they'll, they'll bring them in. It's very transactional. You know, you probably have a dual diagnosis. I'm going to slap you with a diagnosis. If you don't take your medication, you're considered recalcitrant and we'll have to hold you. Uh, you know, next, next, next. That's basically how it well, plays out. You know, and, and that, that gets back to the things that you do to satisfy the system so you can survive. Right. And what we're positing is that there's way more to you and we can create, you know, you can co-create a system that activates the other gifts you have so that you thrive. Right. That it's just a simple choice, you know, and that it's, so we have people who are engaged in the why that's the outrage. Mm-hmm. And they have a, you know, that light has now been, been that, that fire of outrage has now been put into a lantern so they can see the path ahead. So they're getting their vision more, more uh, clear. And this is the toolkit. This is the how. And, and, and we're tapping into those five keystone capitals of attention and relationships and time and trust and wisdom. Uh -huh. to activate the highest value of the hard capitals, which is your home, your uh, community. You know, they're tangible, they're measurable for the purpose mm -hmm. of creating a shared future of opportunity for everyone. There's no guarantees for outcomes. You know, that, that, that depends on the individual. And that's part of the calm process that Trudy administers right. is to work people through that whole storyline but it is right. authored by the people who are living it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's absolutely. I mean, that's um, uh, you know a lot of what we do uh, with these plans is, is yeah. to do that. I mean, and it's it's really it's funny about this because people say, "How's your business going?" I'm like, "It's been pretty decent." I mean, COVID has really helped people understand why they might need to manage mm -hmm. their own affairs, <laughs> and it doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the government goes away. What it does mean is that the government is you know like there's that expression that you can't turn them 
battleship in a bathtub, at least not easily, right? So it's going to, I don't, I don't envision a world without government. I think it's more likely that the government as we know it will go through a rightsizing. I think for instance, we will probably see new stewards come into the government who are um, acculturated to acknowledge that they, we will not be living in a, in a, in a fiscal era of nonstop prosperity because that's kind of how it, it is. And I'm not making a political statement, it just is. There's a baseline assumption that there will always be money to pay for an expansion to budget. There will always be budget overruns. There will always be uh, a way to turn. And that just isn't, I don't think that's gonna happen forever. So at some point, there'll be those that are like, okay, we're gonna have to make some difficult cho uh, choices about it. And what that'll end up being, you and I both know, it'll probably be political gridlock. And that means that those that are just barely hanging on their homes, aren't gonna, they don't, won't have an option. They're gonna have to rely on each other. They're gonna have to turn to their neighbor and do something. And that's what really we're talking about here. And, and I don't, you know, I don't uh, have any interest in debating people on politics because I consider it a waste of time and effort. Um, there's an opportunity sitting right under our noses and it's right in our neighborhoods. Because again, this is a neighborhood economic solution. And uh, it's, it's pretty sweet. It's actually fun because, um, you know, Ruth and I end up getting to in, in participate in Trudy and now this mm -hmm. fourth one, we get to participate in something that is eminently actionable, uh, pays for itself. And, uh, and it gets people so happy and excited about the potential, right? Um, and I love having my daughters here because they feel like they're part of the company, which I really mm -hmm. like, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it really helps them change the story about who they are, you know. Uh, you know, Amelia, she, 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 you know, she says, I designed the logo. Um, it, it's, uh, I did this. And you can see the look of pride on her face. Man, I really want that for my girl because I want her to grow up and say, look what I did, right? And so, uh, you know, I'm loving it, feeling good about it. I have every reason to feel optimistic. I believe so, you know, yeah. and, and it's, and, and the thing is, is that people are in overwhelm and that's completely understandable uh -huh. because we've got this huge influx of information, but there's no way to sort it. Right. You know, you can't figure out, you know, which is good or bad because everything has to go through those four questions of, is it true? Has it ever been true? Could mm -hmm. it be true? And should it be true? Right. And you get to the point, like for me, I just, I do that in microseconds, right? It's just, right. that's just part of my, my thought process, but it's not about assigning blame or, or, or judging. Right. It's saying is this going to in, in, in enhance my well-being or is it going to detract from it? Right. You know, that's that's kind of like, and, and we can talk about that another time. It's like that's a second step when you're building community wealth. After you've entered, you've you've now entered into this storyline, you get to start asking different questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny too, because you know, once people get activated in the way that we suggest, you can't get them to stop, which is good. That's good, by the way. Um, you just want to. You just want to encourage them to tap the brakes because slow and steady wins a race, long-term stuff, right? And 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 you're gonna lose our volunteers, right? So you just have to consider that you might have somebody who's all in, and then they might just move on to something else because they burn themselves out. It's like, I okay. guess the final thing that I would say is that if you do this right, you really root it in the way that we suggest, it will automatically create that that backdraft, right? And you'll get that engagement. But, but be aware that people don't know how to slow themselves down. And you're going to need to, you're going to need to say, Hey, but let's just do, let's just write three things down and we'll do those three mm -hmm. things this week. Just keep them on focus. A little bit of wisdom capital for you. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to do it all at once. Just a little bit of time. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The future is in post-its. Get, <laughs> get your hands on them now. Right. Yeah. I know here I am. I'm talking about how I do just what's on this post-it and I have like 30 post-its on my desk. So. <laughs> 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 so, you know, guilty as charged. 
So yeah. anyway, I should, we should probably wrap because I want to get out and do some walking. I'm thinking about walking yeah. to your house. What do you think? Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. I'll see you, uh, see you, in I'll a see bit. you pretty soon. Cheers. Okay. Bye.